0: Hey guys, before today's episode of the podcast, I want you to text me, 212-931-5731. If you don't, you're missing out. I'm putting all my eggs in the text basket. 212-931-5731. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. What's up,
1: podcast, and welcome back. Today we have Matt Diavola, filmmaker, YouTuber, and host of the Ground Up Show podcast. Him and Gary sat down for a talk on his show about minimalism and helped give tips for those looking to live a meaningful life. Make sure to tweet or text Gary with any questions that you have, and I hope you enjoy. Well, dude, thanks so much for connecting. So, I don't know if you, are you familiar with minimalism?
0: I'm familiar with it the way that many people are familiar with most things, which is they can headline read, but they're not, you know, it's not something I'm deeply uh, aware of, but On the headlining of, you know, keeping things simple, not having a whole lot of stuff, like those kind of things, I can understand the nuances from afar.
1: Has anybody called you a minimalist before?
0: No, but it's funny that you just said that, like, I understand that about me in some weird way.
1: I mean, honestly, well, you look at your office, you got the Jets memorabilia, a lot of stuff and things, and a lot of people, they have misconceptions about what minimalism is, and if you have a lot of that means you're not a minimalist. Uh, I mean, it's just a term, but realistically... A lot of the stuff that you've been talking about lately and even over the past 10 years has been about stop focusing on materialism, consumerism. We're getting distracted with stuff.
0: If that's where it goes, where it's like, you know, if, it, if there's a deeper understanding to why one owns something, then it's a movement I can get really behind once I get educated because I'm desperately sad that people buy things to close emotional gaps.
1: Why do you think that people do, are getting distracted with consumer purchases, the car they can't
0: afford. Because people are insecure. And they need validation from others. And I think they use items to get validation from others. I really do, I think, I think um, when I think about anything I buy, it's 100% for me. Even all the chachkas, the thrill of finding them at a garage sale, or like the one thing I actually buy that I think is silly is like custom New York Jets jerseys but it's so for me. Um, and I'm happy that I don't buy things for other people's opinions, but I think most people do.
1: I just watched last night your uh, Melbourne talk that you gave, I believe it was last, it was past winter? Months, yeah. yeah. Um, and you were talking about, and try, you were essentially encouraging 30 to 40 year olds to downsize, move back with the parents. Where does that come from?
0: There's something very in the near that uh, is manifesting to me that's clear which is we have a lot of people out there that really pretty much live their lives based on other people's opinions. And I just know that right now somebody's listening or watching who overextended themselves and owns things they can't afford actually desperately loves their parents. Like you know, it probably comes from a place of like secretly I'd like to still be living with my parents. I like them so much. It'd be nice. You know, I don't feel a burden if I walk through the kitchen and be like, hey mom, Like I can live my life but like it'd be nice to say hey mom, like, I like it. Anyway, nonetheless, I think a lot of people are overextended and I think they can restart and if they're in the context of you're overextended, you're underwater, you're in debt, you're living too much above your means, you can sell off your home that you bought that was too big for you in the first place, get some level of dollars back or at least get out of debt or, or a mortgage move back in with your parents, which is a, if you're you're not worried about your high school friends or your coworkers saying, oh, I'm sorry that you moved back in with your parents, if you can deal with the stigma, well then, that's probably a nice way to save some, you know, first of all, again, plenty of parent and children relationships are not great, but plenty are amazing. And
1: they're- Good enough to save the money.
0: (laughs) There's millions of relationships out there where both the kid and the parent would think it's the greatest thing that ever happened that the kid came back and lived there for a year or two, including the family, including. But you know, people have pride or, or or have a preconceived notion that that's unacceptable, that's in the air, and so I'm trying to start conversations that I believe in. I believe there are hundreds of thousands of people who would become miraculously happier if they uh, if they saw the world in a different way, uh, and did something as practical and as out of left field in at least today's popular society as selling their home, getting back that equity, moving in with their folks for a couple years and reestablishing a career. You know, One of the big things that I'm passionate about is are you doing something you enjoy to do? Like happiness and fulfillment has to become a much bigger part of the conversation than financial upside. I'm, I'm always very hurt when people think that I'm pushing hustle and too much work and make it for the money. You know, my behavior doesn't map to that. I would have been a venture capitalist then. Like I'm, I'm talking about actually liking what you do and being in a place where you don't have issues or internal mindset struggles because you actually have been able to start the process of not worrying about other people's opinions.
1: The best decision I ever made in my life was after college $97,000 in debt buying a brand new car. That wasn't the best decision, but it was then moving home and being able to spend two years at home with my parents starting my business. Actually it's funny. The, my, the, the retained client that changed my life was actually Viddler. Uh, I, I was like their video guy for years. And actually I, we did an interview with you maybe like six, seven in years ago. Yeah. In yeah. the mm-hmm. But if I didn't move home, if I didn't take that leap, yeah, that leap. I mean, cause everybody was starting going, going out with their starting salaries. They were making money. And then for me to move literally in my parents' basement, making no money. That was where like minimalism came in for me, where I saw it, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't need all that stuff. I don't need to prove anything to anybody. I don't need to prove anything to myself. Like I'm happy with what I have now and I'm happy with the stuff that I'm making and I have a vision of where it could go. And I think too many people get just trapped in this idea that they have to prove themselves to other people.
0: A hundred percent.
1: You talked a little bit about hustle. Uh, I think if we had done this interview a year ago, even before crushing it, it would have been a different interview because you have talked a lot and I think, um, clarified a lot of your vision of what it means to hustle, to work hard. And obviously there's a lot of people that have uh, their own opinions about hustle and hustle porn and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so we don't have to kind of go all into that, but I am curious about how do we hustle with intention? So for myself, and there's a lot of people like me who are incredibly ambitious about their work lives, but they're also ambitious about their health, their wellness, their relationships. How we make sure that it doesn't sway too far?
0: Well, you know, we definitely don't do it by listening to Gary Vee or the anti-Gary Vee. We make it very contextual to ourselves, and we also don't judge ourselves through the process. There are going to be times where naturally, right now, I'm in the... A phase in my health in working out especially after I really severely sprained my ankle where over the last four years I'm probably at the heaviest, I've got the most fat that I've had in four years and for the last three months I've just not been in the same zone that I've been for the last four years. I'm dealing with it by not over myself and so Things ebb and flow. Like right now you're in massively good physical (laughs) shape. I think you just are. I'm impressed. I did biceps
1: today. (laughs) I'm impressed.
0: But I'm sure you intuitively understand there'll probably be a chapter where you won't be as tight on your regimen and what have you. The way, you know, I'm very fascinated by the conversation of work ethic, hustle, overworking. I'm fascinated by people's ability to not take on accountability. I I never feel like my points of view and my thoughts and my hot takes and my passions and my story are right. I've never believed that in my life. I don't think they're right. I think I enjoy sharing them because I enjoy sharing them. I'm a communicator. There's some selfish needs of communicating, I'm sure. But like I share them. But everybody shares them. This thought that, you know, I, I think one of the biggest things we need to get more thoughtful about is this question which is The answer to the question is by conversating with yourself and trying to develop self-awareness and not look for outside validation. When people email me and say, Gary Vee, I've been hustling 15 hours a day. I'm like, you getting enough rest? You good? Are you you pumped? Like with intention, my intention is to be happy and so I'm not going to apologize for enjoying my work. Like I don't need validation for my work, my work is not my family or my thing, you know, I watch these conversations, I'm fascinated by them, I respect other people's points of view, I just, I don't think that, I just want to make sure that they don't think they're right either. A lot of people that push against hard work, hustle, are people who've already hustled and didn't find fulfillment from it but maybe somebody else did. In the same way that I haven't had to clarify my points of view, there are plenty of interviews in 2010 where my point of view on Crush It was make 86,000 a year and talk about strawberries. I've been talking about happiness the whole time. I have evolved and, and have been forced because I feel like I've been dragged into being a poster child of something that I don't believe in in creating clarity. But I think to answer your question directly, I think you have to answer that for yourself and what I would say is don't overjudge yourself in every chapter. It's okay to be losing by 14 points at the end of the first quarter of an NBA game. You can win that game. And so if you're, if you're like working 15 hours a day for a year because you're starting your videography business, that's probably okay. It does take work to start something. If you've achieved some level of success three years in, and you don't want to take it to a ten million dollar business from a three million dollar business because you fall in love and you've started a family and you want to go to wiffle you want to play wiffle ball outside with your child. That's amazing. There, there is no right. There's only right for you. More importantly, there is no line in the sand. I'll be very honest with you. I'm 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 unbelievably excited to evolve. There may be a re- There may be a time where I don't want to be as passionate about my work, and there may be some cause or some game or who. Hoop- knows what I'll get excited about Um, and so I think to answer your question, it's A, to do it for yourself, B, to know that it's going to ebb and flow. When you're 96 in debt in your basement, you're grinding. When you're not in the same place, you don't have to do the same things, you may still want to, I still want to. I love operating. I, you know, I was afforded a lot of opportunities besides building VaynerMedia and having a client service business, thousand employees, a lot of chaos. I enjoy that. And look, there's a lot of people, I don't post pictures of my family on social media. Lots of people do. I could judge that, I choose not to. Um, I think there's a lot of judgment in the air on this issue right now. Um, and so yeah, I'm trying to do a better job over last year of clarifying it because I don't want to be dragged down in the momentum of something I don't believe in which is Why in the world would I believe in, why would any human being want somebody to burn out and not be happy? But guess what? I would be burnt out and unhappy if I worked nine to five. I would die.
1: Yeah, I think that was my favorite thing that you said in Crushing It, was this idea of think about the people who are just drudging through a job that they
0: hate. I know unbelievable amounts of unhappiness from people that work 40 hours a week. Who gets to decide? Definitely not me, and definitely not people who are pushing very hard in what they perceive to be my point of view on this issue. I think I've been consistent. I could have been better at clarifying it along the way.
1: One area in which you're definitely not a minimalist is the amount of content you produce. Yes. And also the amount of content that you suggest people produce. Uh, I know even in crushing it, you said there's not, there's not one person who isn't creating uh, enough content and that's, I, I, I agree with you. I think obviously there's an appetite for it. You can always be creating more, but in the same way as you let's, can always- Let's
0: use working out because you're in such great shape. Yeah, please, I would love to talk you, about You could be in better shape. Yeah. You're in really good shape. So that's my punchline, which is like good behavior is in perpetuity. I do believe in the modern internet to create awareness for something you want, whether that's to raise money for a nonprofit or to sell glasses. I believe the volume of content is, because then you're able to contextualize it to your audience, is absolutely the leverage of the current state of consumer consumption. Um, One's capability, financially, energy-wise, creatively, you know, but it's no different than saying run really fast. If you can run really really fast, faster than anybody, you can win an Olympic gold medal and then make 25 million dollars a year in sponsorship if that's what you choose or live in a cave and say I want a gold medal. I'm I'm speaking to what I genuinely believe is the right strategy. You know how one interprets that, you know, is really up to them.
1: I think it's it's certainly true for when you're getting started out, when nothing is sticking and you have to be on every platform because you don't know which one when is When something
0: get. is sticking, you need to quadruple down on it.
1: Right. That's what I was going to ask well, you. Well, you know,
0: like I understand what you're saying. You're trying to find your thing. Yeah. Well, if you find your thing is, you know, how to make potato salad, there's 87,000 potato salad. I mean, I made a thousand episodes of a wine show on Vidler that I could still be doing. Mm-hmm. Could. There's too many wines. Yeah. There's so many things one can do. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I've come to learn that I'm a little more creative than I thought. You know, I see more creative angles. I think people get, I think people, we underestimate how much creativity it takes to create content. But that's why I think uh, documenting over creating is a very fascinating conversation.
1: But uh, I guess with the the documenting versus creating too, is that, is there enough of a differentiator? In terms of like.
0: I don't think you have enough scale that you're reaching everybody. So to me, in a net-net game, I'd rather get 20% of my audience to get bored on seeing the same old thing Mm -hmm. to give me the opportunity to consistently reach more people. Like, you know, there may not be enough differentiation through the documenting, but nobody's reaching even a fraction of the amount of people they could be. Mm -hmm. There are literally millions of people that are into entrepreneurship and business in America that have never heard my name. And I've gone at it hard for the last 10 years at scale, at the tippy top of my game, and I think we'd all agree I'm out there. I have millions, millions of Americans that are into entrepreneurship and business that have never heard my name. So that, that's something I believe. That has to map your ambition. Same with any brand, service, organization. You know, I think the fragmentation of attention across all these medians has created a scenario where you can't have overexposure.
1: You talked a little bit about quality being subjective and in a lot of ways that that comes to play with this idea. Uh, I I, I want to push back a little bit on that. Yeah, because I mean, at least from my own experience, it's been producing one high quality video every single week and that's like eventually what it became. In the beginning it was, podcasting, I'm doing eight teasers for every single podcast. I'm putting them on social, I'm sharing them with the people that were on my show. And it became so much work when I was seeing a massive return on these short edited videos that I was making, eight to 10 minute videos on YouTube. And then it became for me, how can I make one amazing video every week versus five decent
0: videos? That's what worked for you. Yeah. And for Steven Spielberg, it's one movie mm-hmm. you know, a year yours is doing way too much volume for him, right? And for me it's not even close to enough volume Mm -hmm. because I think there's 47 meaningful pieces of content potentially in this 40 minutes we spend together. I I think that's right. I I think that goes back to self-awareness and back to the theme that's I think evolving here which is this is very contextual, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I think that's right for you. And by the way, I think the debate for you is if you know, how much micro content does come out of this 40 minutes?
1: It used to be a lot more.
0: (laughs) Yeah, here's the question. And if you hire somebody for $40,000 a year who's great at it in post-production, contextual to social, will it be much more? And will that lead to much more awareness to the top of the macro piece of content that you're passionate about? Yeah. And then it becomes, what are your ambitions? Do you want to make that investment? So, I really don't think there's a right or wrong. I think that what I'm passionate about is, oh my God, there's a permission for an enormous amount of content and for you, this has been the way it played out but for some people, a single piece of micro content on Instagram became the piece that brought them awareness to their long form YouTube video.
1: Also in the beginning, if you're it doesn't matter. It's like making one thing a week, it'd be better to make five things and or, keep or, maybe, going. or
0: to your point, I don't think so. I think like, I, you know, I think, like, yeah. the audience gets to decide. I think, you know, this format works for you.
1: Yeah. yeah this will be fun. So, I did last year a 30-day social media detox. Quit social media. I still uploaded YouTube videos once a week. Because it was your business. This my business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I didn't really see a social media for did me. You, was, read the,
0: you didn't read the comments? I didn't read either. the
1: comments. No, I completely... How did it go? I saw the greatest... It, I had a, a video go viral at that time, which now has 8 million views, which... But like, so that's, it's hard to say it's because I quit social media that my social media following grew, but I saw a massive growth in my audience. The viral
0: videos. Just the viral videos. Yeah, it's too tough to eliminate It that. was. You should do it again.
1: Yeah. But I think- Did you like it? Uh, yeah. No, I loved it. It was great. But like for me- When was this? This was October of last year. Um, but the idea, and this is something that Seth Godin has talked about, Cal Newport has talked about, the idea that social media is a symptom, that- just because you have 10X social media um, managers on your team doesn't mean you're gonna do 10X ten x the numbers. Yeah, that's right. What are your thoughts on social media? Obviously, you were one of the first ones that was talking about how important it's gonna be for brands and personal brands. Yeah. This retraction now, for a different reason. I think
0: it's great. I mean, I, to me, I don't overthink it. I, I, you know, there was time, like, to to me, I'm so contextual, like, do, I don't think you grew because you were off it. I, think, I appreciate you quantifying and saying, look, that viral video, <laughs> you get a YouTube video that has eight million views pop on it or two million at that little window, you're gonna feel the effects on your social numbers. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I think, that, I think that people need to try to be self-aware about what makes them happy and doesn't make them happy. Right now, social me- I view social media as a, as a mirror. I think what people are putting out is an incredible indicator of what's inside of them. So right now there's a lot of political anxiety. There's a lot of ideological anxiety. And so what we're seeing is a lot of judgment. You know, I think you know the early days, especially when you and I were on it, like there was a lot of Nirvana early users. It was very soft. I think you are seeing um, a different version of that today. But that is, you know... <laughs> getting off of social is no different than stop watching CNN or Fox every night or reading the Journal or the Times. Um, We consume as animals. And I think if one feels overwhelmed, they should stop consuming. But I don't put social media consumption in a very different place than the films and music and, and books that one reads. Like, the collective replies of people's angst is no different than... Kurt Cobain's singular angst other than it's a collective versus a singular and so I think it's great and like when people are like oh like, like what are you gonna think about that I'm like I don't care about social media mm-hmm. I really don't I care about humans communicating with each other I'm fascinated by communication and I'm fascinated that we now have a collective ability to communicate at a scale that we've never seen before and I think right now people are focusing on the downside of that and I think we're forgetting the upside of it there's so much love and greatness going on every day. I think humans find what they're looking for. If you're signing into Twitter to find a fight or to find somebody to fight with or to see some negativity, you're gonna find it. I think if you go to Twitter or Instagram to find happiness and positivity, it's there at scale.
1: I'm curious, for people who are trying to find meaning in life, to, to live a meaningful life, what would you say to
0: them? I think a couple things. You know, this, it's a very heavy question. I think people, first of all, have to give a lot more thought to the environment and the parents that raise them. There's a lot of answers in there, like a lot. Uh, so that's interesting to me. That's just one hot take. I believe one of the great ways to mix things up is what you listen to and who you surround yourself with. Um, I would. I'm unbelievably passionate about people finding more optimistic practical friends. And I, and I think optimism gets, can get can slide into delusion, which is why I say optimistical practical, you know? Uh, it's funny, as you were talking about minimalism, like I didn't, it, it's so interesting that you're the first person to ever say it to me that I can recall, and it feels very real to me. Like I don't have outside things kind of driving me and that's what leads me to a lot of happiness and so, I would say auditing your circle. Like if somebody wants a meaningful life, live a meaningful life, just get happier. I think the people that you spend your time with is a big one. The amount of people listening right now who've got a mother who's super pessimistic and cynical but they love their mother and they don't realize that cutting down their time from seven hours a week of engagement with their mother to two and adding Like, going out of their way to seeing the person that's always smiling in the office and trying to spark up a friendship and become friends with that person and cutting up that seven hours a week from mom to two to mom, maybe 30 minutes with that person and maybe reallocating the other hours to themselves or other things is a massive deal. It's a massive deal. Like, there's only offense and defense. There's only the force and the dark side. Right? And I think that... um. Right now, people are, are, a lot of people are choosing to be driven by fear and negativity without realizing it. And so if you're listening right now, my biggest thing is start leaning into a little bit more of optimism and positivity. I think where it overcorrects is when it goes into delusion and that's when you start creating entitlement. And that is the tightrope that I've been talking about, thinking about, watching... um, and it's, I, I create entitlement a lot of times because I like positivity. Mm. And it took me a little while, maybe 20 or 30 years, 20 years of operating and managing and parenting and being like, okay, I can, <laughs> I can see this, but I'm, not, but I'm a product of not having entitlement.
1: I mean, everything you're talking about is in alignment with like minimalist principles, living a meaningful life. Uh, I think it's just that sometimes people put their, their own life and try to fit it into a box. They try That's to, right. they try to, they're not personalizing it enough for themselves. Too many people aren't asking themselves the right questions.
0: I think one of the things that is probably evolving my content is as I have more attention, I feel a greater responsibility.
1: Mm.
0: And so I've become very passionate about creating more context. I think I'm at my best when I have time to talk like this and I'm not when I'm too excited on stage or in a one second clip. You know, I, I think that I, I'm, I'm becoming more thoughtful because I'm surprised at the sheer level of quick judgments that our society has become comfortable with.
1: I, I, thought about doing it myself. I mean, I re-read read, Crush It and I'm like, there's some things in there that I could pull up and say, hey, this is kind of crazy. Yep. And I'm like, this is no worse than pulling up tweets from 10 years ago. It's That's like, right. just have a conversation. It's, it's very easy to do that because I think- It's very easy
0: and, yeah. and it's also written in context. I wrote mm-hmm. that book in 2008 when people, like the economy collapsed and this internet thing emerged and there was a land grab. There was an amazing opportunity if you were a fast mover on those platforms and those things played out. You know, it's not as easy to build a huge personal brand or a media property on YouTube or podcast or Instagram as it was five years ago, it's supply and demand. You know, So I don't feel anything or any, like it's contextual. Mm-hmm. Like yes, I think you should have spent all your money on Manhattan real estate 180 years ago. <laughs> and that was a good bet. Yeah. So yeah, I you know I also I also am so, one of the things that's struck me in the last year that I'm like oh wait a minute these people think they're right. I never think I'm right, ever. I think I'm communicating my observations. I have no interest in telling anybody how to do anything. Really, I don't. I don't have that level of audacity. And I think, I think, what I'm watching is much more. In- much, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm, surpri- I'm surprised that some of my friend contemporaries that take different points of view are coming at it with more of a, I'm right, you're wrong. You know? Yeah. That's been really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. That's something I want to throw more in the air. It's probably why I'm yapping I'm being late. Because yeah. I respect your platform and like just kind of respect your point of view on this. Like, I'm surprised that we've gotten, not surprised, we are in that place. Um, and so I wanted, I'm wanted, i going to do a much better job over the next half decade to say, look, this is how I see it. These are my circumstances and I think I'm I also am pretty aware of my happiness and not that everybody has the same chemicals or circumstances but I, I would feel remiss not to speak about what I see. I also think that when we start demonizing work ethic we get into, a, I, I think we are the byproduct of the last 10 years being So, fruitful. You know, a lot of the people that push against me are venture-backed company founders who were able to raise $25 million over four years based on their idea by never running a profitable company. So, everybody, and not that they're wrong, I just think everybody has different perspectives. So, I think we need to get into a healthier, you know, minimalism, I'm sure, I, I don't know. I assume there's some sort of counter debate to it and so, oh, yeah Yeah,
1: like yeah, there's a minimalism is dead and it's it's just the whole thing I mean it, from the same perspective of hustle. It's like well, it's not a cult. These are just some ideas
0: I think it's important. Yeah. and I think you know for, for example I think I both love work ethic and minimalism and I think they're you know, I already know that I'm a kind of enigma and have like some pretty contradictions within me mm-hmm. so I'm hoping that because of that and that's just the luck of the draw of DNA um, and given the platform that I've earned and have been afforded, um, maybe I can create some better conversations because I think, I think it would be a really good time for all of us in any sector about any debate. Red versus white wine let alone minimalism, anti-minimalism, hustle, anti It's a really good time to get back to a cordial state of debate. I also know it's contextual. Like how can't you tell somebody who's not afforded any opportunities that work ethic isn't gonna help them? There's no no thing you can pull up that speaks to me saying money is happiness. I wasn't raised in that environment. I know it's not true. Thanks guys for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. (laughs) Have a great day.